Welcome back to the Bitcoin Layer. I'm Nick Batia. Today is Wednesday, January 10th. We are only hours away from the SEC's formal approval of Bitcoin spot ETFs. Today, I want to bring you guys a very important global macroeconomic update in which I explain why rate cuts are coming, but more importantly, why they might be too late. All right, guys, we'll talk about the ETF right at the end here. But first, let's go through some of the latest economic data from around the world and explain to you guys why the global economy is not doing very well and why that means rate cuts are coming. The Bitcoin layer is proud to be sponsored by River. Go check them out today at river.com slash TBL for a special offer of up to $100 worth of Bitcoin for free when you go sign up. Now, River is a Bitcoin-only exchange. They do not keep your Bitcoin on a third-party storage solution. They have their own method of storing Bitcoin. They also recommend that you get your Bitcoin into cold storage. Once it's purchased, they allow you to use Lightning Network. And there's these great features, including a recurring purchase on the hour. You can send Bitcoin to your friends and family now via text message. Go check them out today at river.com slash TBL. All right, let's start with this chart of global PMIs. So PMI stands for Purchasing Managers Index. The PMI index is a representation of where companies are seeing growth or expansion. So the 50 line is the line at which responses are neutral. Above 50 means the company is in expansion. Below 50, the company is in contraction. Now, these companies are surveyed all around the world and aggregated up to either the manufacturing or services level and then aggregated up once again to the country level. So what we have here on this chart is a global heat map looking at the country level of each country's PMI. And what you see here is that if the color is white, that means the reading is right around 50. Green means above 50 and red means below 50. So the darker the color, the more intense the reading is above or below 50. Now let's start in 2021. What you see here is growth all around the world in the US, the Eurozone and across emerging markets. Almost every country in the world was in expansion. Then what do you see in 2022? Right around the middle of 2022, the colors start to change from green to red. And this is something I want to spend a second on here. We're arguing today about whether or not the U.S. is, a, is in recession or heading into recession. But stepping back and looking at the global heat map of PMIs, what we can see is that the global economy has been relatively weak or not that strong since mid-2022. Now, on the top, on the very top line, we have all the world's data aggregated. And on the second line, you have the United States. And what you see here is that, yes, the U.S. PMIs were red at the end of 2022 and even the global, but that for 2023, they went back into positive territory and have maintained this neutral to slightly positive territory. However, let's now look at what's happening across the world. So now we're looking at 2023, quarter four. 
This is all the way to the right-hand side of the chart here. And what do you see in red? Canada is in red. Australia is in red. The entire European Union is in red, including Germany, Netherlands, Australia, France. We also see Taiwan in red, which is something that has been the case for well over a year. So electronics exports out of Taiwan, this is mainly the chip industry, it, it is not performing that well. And also we see, of course, countries like in Central Europe and in Eastern Europe, Russia has been in recession for quite a long time. So my goal here is to show you that, yes, while the economy can have growth pockets and contraction pockets around the world, what we are seeing here is a severe recession in Europe, recessions in Canada and Australia, which are on opposite sides of the world, and the U.S. at basically a flat line. And so in terms of looking for the growth impulse from or any leading indicators from where global growth is coming, we do not see it at all. So that's the backdrop here just to give you guys a sense of where the economy is today and where it has been. Now on this chart, I have the Canadian economy overlaid with the U.S. economy. So Canada here in orange and the U.S. in purple both here manufacturing sectors. Now in the US, the last few months have seen readings below 50, so in contraction, but some, some bit of stabilization. Not the case in Canada. Canada just printed 45.4 on its manufacturing survey, and this is down significantly from above 47. So Canada, the economy over there getting worse and worse. And this is an indicator for what's going on with the US because these two economies, as you can see, are very closely linked. All right, tomorrow on Thursday, January 11th, we will have the latest CPI reading. This is the US inflation reading that has been driving markets very, very significantly over the past year plus as the Fed has hiked rates off of CPI and then paused its rate hike when CPI cooled significantly. So we're gonna get into CPI in a second, but before we do that, I want to talk about oil. Now, oil prices can be one very large driver of inflation, but they are, again, just one driver. Oil is something that we've been watching closely here, especially as oil has struggled. And it is our belief that oil prices are struggling for one reason only, and that reason is weak global demand. Why do we believe this? Because OPEC, the large body of oil producing nations that have somewhat of a control over global supply, not completely, but somewhat, OPEC nations have decided to cut supply. Last year, the supply cuts did not work at all to bounce the price. That tells us that even though the oil producing nations are cutting, there is more than enough oil to go around because there's weak global demand. So that's something we're watching. I have a trend line here or some, some horizontal lines here, one at $72 and the other at $57. My goal here is to show you that below $72 on Brent crude oil, this is the C price of crude, not the WTI price that's a US landlocked price. They track closely, but 
uh, not always, and we do prefer tracking Brent crude. The Brent crude price above 72 is showing signs of stabilization, but below that, it can quickly fall to the 50s, and that would be a sign that demand is falling off of a cliff. So let's continue to watch oil. Now, why do we watch oil? Because oil drives inflation, inflation drives interest rates. And that's what we care about here at the Bitcoin layer is trying to understand interest rates and where they are going and what the shape of the curve means. Stay tuned. We are going to talk about the yield curve and its shape and what that means here in a few minutes. One more chart here on crude. This is the oil gold ratio set against the U.S. Treasury 10-year yield. And what we see here is that these two metrics are strongly related. As the oil-gold ratio increases, it is a sign that the economy is doing well, right? As more people favor oil, which is a consumable commodity, relative to gold, which is a safe haven commodity. So when oil-gold ratio increases, it's bullish for the economy and a good sign for economic growth. This then causes investors to sell their U.S. treasuries and invest in other assets. So when they sell U.S. treasuries, rates go up, right? Remember that interest rates and prices of bonds are inversely correlated. Now, what we see here is over the last few months, the oil-gold ratio has fallen as gold has had some life and oil prices have declined, which we just showed you. That should mean a lower a pressure lower on treasury yields. And we've seen exactly that over the last few months of 2023. We've opened 2024 without much movement in treasury yields, a little bit higher. This is a metric that we are going to continue watching, but I want you guys to remember the relationship between oil and treasury yields, between oil and inflation, and think about oil as one of the drivers for treasury yields. Now back to tomorrow's main event from a macro perspective. Of course, selfishly, the main event for us at the Bitcoin layer is the first day of trading of Bitcoin ETFs. But for the macroeconomic purposes, Thursday's CPI reading is a very, very important release here. And what we see on this chart is the CPI and the 10-year yield on the same scale. What we saw over the last couple years was CPI get to 9%. Now, this did not drag treasury yields all the way to 9%, as you can see, but it did drag them to 5%. And that was on a lag, right? We, I want you guys to look here at the behavior of treasury yields relative to the CPI readings. And what you see is that CPI started to take off way before treasury yields did. So it doesn't mean that these two things tick together, but one can be a driver of the other. And of course, if inflation is hot, the Fed will be raising rates. This will make all future cash flows worth less today than they were previously, and that should make bond prices decline, sending interest rates higher. So that is why CPI can and is a driver of treasury yields but they don't always happen right in that moment. What you saw from the 9% CPI reading was a collapse in inflation all the way back to 3%. So close to the Fed's goal of 2%, not quite, but now we're hanging around here in this mid 3% area. Our anticipation is that inflation will continue to stay steady here 
and will not see a resurgence, especially with oil. We're going to talk about rents here in a second, especially with rents and all the trends we're seeing, uh, especially in, in the employment market as well with the employment market cooling. So CPI, we do not see any resurgence in CPI in 2024. And by resurgence, I mean 5%, uh, 4 or 5% or higher. We expect inflation to stay cool and even potentially cool off a lot more. That's not our call right now, but it could happen if the economy continues to slow. We talked about housing. Let's look at the Zillow rent index. This is in orange here. Zillow rent index right now is up about three and a third percent year over year. And guess what? This is right smack dab in the middle of the CPI headline number and the CPI housing number. So what we have right now is rents that really were one of the main drivers of inflation over the last couple of years. Rents have cooled off completely. And if rents continue to decline, this should keep a lid on inflation, but it means much more for the economy. So I want to show you a very important chart here that was put out by Moody's about the vacancy rate in the commercial real estate sector. All right, this is a 40 plus year chart of vacancies for offices. And what we see here is that at nearly 20% vacancy, you're essentially at an all-time high in commercial real estate office vacancies per Moody's. Now, I don't know about you guys, but this is an enormous red flag for us at the Bitcoin layer when we're doing our macroeconomic analysis and especially our cycle analysis. But you put it in the backdrop with the news that we're seeing fire sale prices on large office buildings, buildings that were going for several hundred dollars a square foot are now going for $80 per square foot. Massive fire sale in office buildings. You couple that with the vacancy rate at nearly 20% and at multi-decade highs. And the takeaway then has to be back to Econ 101. Now, Here's the way to think about it. If we have a massive wave of vacancies in office buildings, what you're going to see is continued fire sale of those assets. Because when somebody is going to sell, let's say the office building has a loan that they cannot repay. The reason they cannot repay, 20% vacancy. So they're not getting the rent money. They can't pay the loan. They default on the loan. When, the, when they default, whoever has issued the loan now has a property that is foreclosed. That property needs to be sold to make the bank's balance sheet go back to normal because the bank is not in the business of holding foreclosed property. Now, the bank sells the building at a much lower price than what it had it marked at. So then the bank has to take a write-down. And in the process of bank write-downs, you get associated credit contraction, and that is how problems in real estate can trickle down through the rest of the economy. So we have to think about these type of metrics, 20% office vacancies coupled with liquidation of major office buildings, and it gives us a sense that there is an overhang on the economy. 
Now, what did we start talking about? Rate cuts. It's all we've been talking about here for a month plus at the Bitcoin layer. Rate cuts, rate cuts. But why rate cuts? Because if the office building, the loan is at 6% and the tenants are not paying rent, the office manager cannot pay the loan at 6%, but the office manager might be able to pay the loan off at 3%. The Fed sees this, right, not in a isolated fashion, but at the aggregate level, the Fed sees this and realize they have to cut rates. But if they don't cut them quickly enough, what happens to that loan? It goes into default. There is nothing coming to save that loan that is triggered by high office vacancies. That loan can only be saved if the Fed starts cutting yesterday. And guess what? The Fed is not going to cut rates as of yesterday. In fact, the Fed is probably not going to be cutting rates until probably May at the earliest. And so for these reasons, we think that rate cuts are going to come too late. And this goes back to this whole soft landing idea that We can land the plane, meaning the economy, without having any really bumpy uh, situations, meaning a recession or anything going on in the financial sector. We don't believe this. We don't buy it for a second. And it's this cyclical view that leads us to believe that. My last comment here on CPI is that outright price declines do frighten the Fed. They really do scare the Fed. So let's look at this chart of CPI. Now, instead of looking at CPI on a year-over-year change basis, right, where the y-axis is in percentage terms, right now we're just looking at the index. So the index of CPI is at about 307. This number doesn't mean anything by itself. It's just tracking a group of prices, just like if I tell you that the Dow Jones is at 35,000 today, it doesn't necessarily mean anything by itself. But when you compare it to years past, then it starts to give it some context. So 307 on the CPI doesn't mean anything, but I want you to look at the shape of this curve and you see it rolling over. It did roll over at the end of 22, but bounced back strongly. Now you have another rolling over. The Fed is very scared. They don't want to see prices decline. They want to see them go up 2% a year. And so when they're declining month over month, that gets them to start saying, oh, yes, we actually are done hiking and might have to cut soon in order to normalize policy. A plug for our research letter that went out here on Tuesday morning in which we described exactly why the Fed is starting to get very squirmish around its balance sheet and the size of its balance sheet. So go check that out as well as our Monday video. One more chart on real estate here with the backdrop of office building liquidations. In orange, I have the commercial property price index. This is from Green Street Advisors. And what I've done is I've overlaid it with the S&P 500 so that you can see that, yes, in a cyclical environment, these two things behave in a way that is related. Uh, Obviously, commercial property itself doesn't drive the stock market, um, nor vice versa. But when the economy is doing well, we should see stocks and office building prices doing well and vice versa. So what you see now is that office buildings have declined 
in prices for a couple years, while the S&P 500 has done pretty well over the last year. So this divergence, again, is something that we're watching for. But the commercial real estate sector, something we've covered for a long time, is seeing, especially in the office sector, is seeing a lot of difficulty. We see multifamily doing well, generally speaking, across the industry, but it is these offices that is driving a lot of the trouble. All right, this next chart is something that you guys might be familiar with. This is the path of policy rates. What we see now in the market is about half a percent of rate cuts priced in by May and about 1% by the fall. Now, it is our belief that the Fed will be cutting rates by June. That has been our call for a couple months, and we're sticking with that. Will the Fed cut rates in March or May? We don't necessarily believe so. We are starting to hear that the Fed will start tapering the quantitative tightening program, meaning that they will let their balance sheet decline at a less quick pace than before. So the first signs of really shifting policy to more of the easing stance, but still in tightening mode, right? Quantitative tightening means decline in the balance sheet. That will continue, just not as quickly. The steps toward easing are underway. First, the pause, then dangling of rate cuts, then the dangling of less QT, then eventually pausing QT, eventually cutting rates, and then eventually slashing rates and increasing the size of the balance sheet. Now, in terms of slashing rates and increasing the size of the balance sheet, these are not things that we can call for right now because the U.S. is not in recession, nor is it in financial crisis, nor are there any signs of real stress in the financial sector. Right? We talked about SOFR and a spike in repo rates around year end and some constraints around reserves, but no massive red flags yet. So the huge rate cut wave and quantitative easing is nowhere to be seen for now. But what we do see is the end of QT and the first few rate cuts starting to materialize by the middle of this year, 2024. Next chart here, I have the U.S. Treasury yield curve. So what we're looking at here is each triangle represents one point on the U.S. yield curve. So starting at one week, going all the way out to 30-year bonds. And in this way, we are able to visualize what the yield is for a treasury security depending on the maturity. So of course, the yields on the front months are above 5%. Why? Because Fed funds is at five and a third. The Fed hasn't cut rates yet. So T-bills are anchored to Fed funds, at least in the very immediate part of the curve. That's why you see five and a third percent or more on bills. But what happens pretty much immediately after that? You start to get inverted to 5% and very quickly. So between two and 30-year treasury securities, you have yields that are well below five and a third percent, well below 5%. And the idea there is that if you are investing in treasury securities, you are willing to take less yield by locking in more guaranteed time for that yield. So your choice here is to have a five and a half percent treasury bill or a 4% 10-year note and if you buy that 5.5% treasury bill, you'll have to buy something else in three months and then another thing in three months. Well, what if the yield is 1% in 12 months? 
you've just screwed yourself out of 3% annualized coupon for nine years. If you had passed up the opportunity to purchase a 10-year treasury at 4%. So in that way, the yield curve is a representation of time preference of liquidity. And if the yield curve continues to be inverted to Fed funds, it means that investors believe the policy rate will be lower in the future, so might as well lock the yield in today. That's a basic way to describe in the interpretation of this yield curve. So now one of my students asked me, well, where are yields going to go once the Fed cuts? Remember that the policy rate is five and a third, but the 10-year note is 4%. So the 10-year note already has five or more interest rate cuts priced into that security. So we, it's not very easy for us to predict where yields are going. However, my point is that we are not able to predict where yields are going. But the Fed does their best to signal where policy rates are going to be over a three to six month time horizon. And so our belief that the Fed will be cutting by June is much less of an opinion than if we were to say that yields are going to go up or down. Because especially with market yields well below five and one third percent, The treasury market is already pricing in interest rate cuts. So when those cuts are materialized, it's not clear the effect that that will have on market yields. So that's why I show you this curve like this so that you can see that the triangles that are going all the way down here from 5.5% to 4.25% rapidly over the first three-year time horizon That is the path of interest rates the market expects, in theory. So the market expects cuts. It has for a while, but now they are going to be materialized, especially as the Fed changes their rhetoric. All right, I have one last bonus chart for you guys. It is that Bitcoin is clearly in a bubble. I, of course, mean this sarcastically. Look at the treasury supply at $34 Bitcoin market cap. 1 trillion, not even. And so remember, guys, we are heading into the new era of Bitcoin ETFs. They will begin trading tomorrow morning. It is not how the Bitcoin price reacts to the news that they have been approved that we care about. Because news can move markets up or down, sell the news, buy the rumor, sell the rumor, buy the fact. All of that stuff is not our concern. What we care about is that once the vehicles are open for trading, how much cash comes from around the world into these ETFs? And where does the cash come from? Does it come out of a NASDAQ bucket? Does it come out of a gold bucket? Does it come out of a cash bucket? Does it come out of a short-term treasury bucket? We're not sure. We're not sure the size, but it is our belief that There will be fireworks over the first few days of Bitcoin ETFs being traded. Make sure to subscribe to our channel, subscribe to our research letter, where we put out a free weekly letter at thebitcoinlayer.substack.com. 
and we'll catch you next time. The Bitcoin Layer is very proud to be sponsored by River. Go check them out today for a special offer at river.com slash TBL for up to $100 worth of Bitcoin for free. River is a Bitcoin only exchange and we want you guys to make sure you are getting allocated in the safest way possible. Go check them out today.